Again, I appreciate you doing this. Um, just real quick, if you don't mind doing an intro for those that may not know who you are and what you do. Sure, thanks. Uh, my name is Ken Sanjunario. I am here in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. I have a company called Corporate Value Metrics, and our mission is to create value for our clients, our colleagues, and our communities. And that's what we're solely focused on. And we, uh, we've developed a, a system and a process that is software-based that is designed to help private companies to double or triple their business values over a three to five year period. And it's been in the market now and for about seven years, it's been uh, tested by all kinds of different advisory firms and so forth, and it's doing really well. So we're just trying to, trying to spread the word about uh, the opportunity that companies have and that they don't, they don't even, uh, they're not aware of, of how much value they're leaving on the table if they only knew how to capture it. So that's what we're all about. Absolutely. And before we talk about the opportunity and the value, if you want to touch on your background, how you got started and how you uh, got to this point. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I spent 18 years turning around distressed companies, um, largely as either a, an, an in-house CFO or chief restructuring officer or CEO. And then uh, I did that uh, for about eight years and then about another um, 10 years as a, as a consultant, turnaround consultant, um, taking over companies being brought in by private equity firms or bank workout groups to take over the operation of a company as interim CEO or CRO, develop and execute a turnaround strategy, and then um, anywhere from six to 18 months in length, full-time deep dives, and then either sell or recapitalize the company on the back end, depending on the, what the uh, aspirations are of the, of the owners at the time. So um, that's, that's what kind of molded me to do what I'm doing now. Before that, I spent a bunch of years in the corporate world as CFO. And, and before that, I was in public accounting way back at the beginning of my career. But for the last 10 years, I've been focused on building this software platform. And it's a SaaS platform. And then um, what I realized uh, in my 18 years of turning around distressed companies is that um, most, unless you've been involved in the, in the guts of running a company in all facets of operations and all of the functional areas, especially in a distressed situation, you really don't have an appreciation for where all the levers are that need to be pushed and pulled and how to balance the company internally and externally and uh, just all the things that have to happen to get a company, not only a distressed company back on track, but a relatively healthy company or healthy company that can grow a lot faster and create a lot more value. And what I found in those, in those 18 years is that a lot of companies that ended up distressed were companies that were rapidly growing companies, but they actually imploded under the weight of their own success because they didn't have the the infrastructure to support the growth. They could sell their products or services, but they grew so fast that they couldn't support it. And they ended up disappointing their customers. They ended up having pressure points inside the company in their organizational structure that caused fail points. And, and once you start doing that, it's a slippery slope down and hard to climb out of it. You start losing customers and market share and so forth. So I realized over 18 years that you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a way to educate company owners 
about where their weaknesses are before they get into trouble. And that will prevent them from getting into trouble. It will create a lot of value for them just by shining a light on the, those weak points and, and helping them to, to uh, alleviate the constraints. And then it will help them to be able to grow more successfully in a way that creates value rather than erodes value. Because a lot of growth that companies go through does not create value for the company. It might generate cash flow, but it doesn't create value. You know, so. Um, yeah. So what, what is the definition of value then in this context? Yeah. So we, we view in a, the value of a company. Uh, first of all, there are all kinds of definitions of value. So depends on who you're, who, who's looking at it and for what purpose and so forth. But we focus on what we call intrinsic value, which is the value of the company as a standalone entity. And it's based on what's the value today of the future cash flows of that business. Um, and those future cash flows are valued with uh, a focus on the riskiness of achieving those cash flows. So it's a riskiness of the business that impacts the value of the future of the, of the cash flows. When an investor invests in a company, they're not investing in what the company did in the past because they, they don't own any of that. They, they're investing in what the company will do in the future based on their intellectual property and, and so forth. Um, and so that's how we view, it's not a transaction value. It's not necessarily the value that the company would sell at if they went to market today. Um, that's a little bit different. It can be very close, especially intrinsic value is very close to what a financial buyer would pay for a company like a private equity firm, but it's not necessarily as close to what a strategic buyer would pay. Strategic buyers typically will pay more than a financial buyer because they, they have um, efficiencies that they plan to capture by folding it into their portfolio and that kind of thing. So we, we, we focus on the intrinsic value of the company. Right. And then um, just pedaling back um, in regards to the weaknesses that you've observed, have you observed any recurring themes amongst um, all of these businesses that you've kind of evaluated or worked with? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, there are some recurring themes. One in particular is that I would say 98% of the companies I've seen, not only in, the, in this process, but over my entire 40-year career, um, they do not have a strategic plan. They have no well-defined vision of where they're trying to go as a company and how they plan to get there. And there are studies that have come out in the past that uh, indicated that as uh, companies with a very clear vision and tactical plan to get there are as much as 70% more successful than companies without that kind of clarity. So strategic planning is such a critical component of a company's success. And that is strategic planning would incorporate uh, alleviating all of the constraints and weaknesses in the, what we call the current state of the company. And companies neither have a solid understanding of their current state, nor do they have a clear vision of where they're trying to go. So they're, they're basically just, they're like gerbils running on a treadmill. They, right. they come in and they run as hard as they can run every day but they don't really know where they're going, you know? So Absolutely. that's one recurring theme. And then in terms of weaknesses, um, it's interesting that 
we find that companies are always strongest in the functional areas that reflect the background of the owner. So if the owner comes from operations, the company will be strongest in operations because they are hiring people that are in the likeness of the owner. He wants to, he wants to clone himself or herself, they, you know, and um, so they, they hire people just like themselves. And that, that makes the company really strong in that area and really weak in the natural opposite areas. So if they're strong in operations, they're probably weak in marketing and sales or things like that, um, you know, natural opposites. And when we ask the owners then, well, where are you allocating most of your resources and time and, and funds to, to grow the company? Where do you think they're putting it all? They're, they're all putting it all in the areas where they're already strongest. And that's not getting them one iota of additional growth capacity or creating a, you know, not even a dollar of incremental value because they're actually increasing the riskiness of the company by further um, widening the gap between their strengths and their weaknesses. So it, it adds more pressure to the weaker areas. And uh, so the weaknesses, aside from the sort of the strategic planning, the weak areas can be any of the, we have eight fundamental categories that we look at and they're planning, leadership, sales, marketing, people, operations, finance, and legal. And the weak areas can be any of those, the weakest. Um, it depends on what the background is of the owner. If, they're, if they come from a sales and marketing background, they're gonna be strong in sales and marketing and they're gonna be terrible probably in leadership and people or something, you know, those, that kind of thing. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask this question from the perspective of my listeners. A lot of my listeners are young entrepreneurs that are aspiring right. to maybe start a business in the future or already have a business. Um, just a high level, because strategic plans have, you know, are contextual, they have nuances, but just a high level sort of version of how would you advise them to create a strategic plan for their company or whatever company they want to start? Yeah. So we have a framework that we have we, we sort of found a basic framework in the public domain. And then my colleagues and I kind of adapted it to be more what we believe to be even more effective. And I'd be happy to share the framework with any of your listeners that would like to, to see it. And um, it, but it basically starts with a, a public domain framework. It's called the, uh, the VMOST framework, vision, mission, objectives, strategies, tactics. That's the acronym VMOST. If they Google VMOST, they'll find a you know hundred articles on that framework. We've added some other components to it, but basically that's kind of the guts of it. Is companies have to have a really clear mission, and most most entrepreneurs, most companies don't really understand what an effective mission is or an effective vision statement. They tend to either flip flop them or they mish, you know they kind of combine them into all one thing, and they're these rambling, you know, long statements that don't really inspire anybody or, or, or motivate anybody or, um, or craft behavior in the company. So we get very clear with companies. Uh, we spend a lot of time helping them to define their mission and vision and values. And then everything else flows from there. We help them uh, establish long-term objectives, 
but only a few long-term objectives. Like companies, when we ask, what are your objectives? They, they sometimes rattle off like 15 things. Well, those, those aren't really objectives. They may be you know, smaller bites, tactical things, but companies have to have no more than three high level, big overarching objectives for a three to five year period. And then you take those high level three objectives and you chunk them down to smaller and smaller bite-sized pieces so that it can become an actionable, executable, accountable plan with timelines and assigned to people throughout the organization and you share it with everybody. So everybody in the organization understands the overall strategic plan of the company, where we're going, where we're trying to get to, what our mission and vision are. So that crafts behavior. And how do I, as maybe a, a mid-level employee or a lower-level employee, or, or even in a new company, if I'm the, the entrepreneur, how do I bring new recruits into my company and make sure they understand how they fit into this overall long-term plan? It really creates a lot of alignment and a lot of um, loyalty from employees when they understand how they fit into the overall plan and how much value they're adding, creates a lot of loyalty. And it just helps the company move down the path a lot faster than they otherwise would. Right. Um, let's talk about the software. Um, what are the capabilities of the software and how, you know, again, you kind of spoke on what inspired you to start it. I'm not sure if we got into the depths of that, but if you want to touch on what inspired you to start it and then how it's functional, what people can do with it. Sure. Yeah. A couple of things inspired me. One was um, in my, in my turnaround consulting, the 10 years that I spent doing that, I had some partners and, and we, we were uh, running our practice during the 2008 and nine recession. Um, and we were getting a lot of, assessment engagements from bank workout groups. So we'd get called by the bank because they were getting inundated with their borrower, their corporate borrowers getting pushed into workout because they had violated their covenants and so forth. So the bank workout groups were understaffed. They couldn't even triage the influx. There were so many companies that were in trouble. So we were getting a lot of engagements to go spend a week or two in the field um, interview the management team, do, you know, do an assessment of, you know, hey, is this company a train wreck that we need to fix right away? Or can it go on the back burner? Or can it be fixed? And if so, how? And can you help us fix it? Um, so we, would, we were doing a lot of those engagements and we were doing, my partners and I were doing them individually. So we'd each go out and every engagement was a from scratch engagement, interview all the management team individually, distill all their responses, come back, manually write a report from scratch. And I mean, it was a long, tedious process that was, you know, three or four weeks in length. And then we deliver the report and we were getting a flat fee for doing that. And we all did great work. But at one day I, I, I pulled about a dozen of our reports into a, on a big conference table and laid them out. And I called my partners and I said, guys, look, I mean, other than the logo on the front cover of these reports, the bank would never know that these were from the same firm because our writing styles are all different. You know, this is like a, four people working together. This isn't a brand. We can't scale this. How do we even teach? How can we teach associates how to do this? We all can do it because we're, we all have decades of experience, but this is not scalable. And, and it's not especially helpful for the bank in terms of if a bank has, you know, say 20 companies in workout, 
they should we we should be able to attach some kind of a score to the report, like a risk score. So the bank can triage these companies just by looking at a number. They can just say, hey, this this company has a risk score of X, that one has a risk score of Y. Uh, we need to work on the one with the X first. You know, it's a higher risk, uh, higher risk company. So I thought, you know, we we could we could standardize our approach to assessing companies, make it a lot more efficient, make it even more comprehensive, more informative, and more uh, valuable to the bank or whoever the reader might be. So I spent a year developing a framework, a prototype for a standardized assessment. And then it took me a second year to uh, back test it, to calibrate the whole framework because it has a valuation component in it as well. Um, and I had to calibrate the qualitative assessment with the valuation module and make sure that it all worked properly and so forth, and that we could do scenario planning. So here's the baseline of a company. Well, what would happen if we strengthened the biggest weaknesses or constraints in the company, what would that do to the value of the company? So we can show the bank and the owner, here's how you fix it. And here's the value that you'll create by doing these 10 things over the next 12 to 18, 24 months, whatever. And um, then we can, they, can, they can make their assessment in advance of spending time and money and resources doing these things. They'll know what the impact would be on the value of their company for doing that. So that took a lot of calibration to make sure that it was working properly and it would hold up under the scrutiny and due diligence of valuation firms and M&A firms and banks and investment banks and private, you know, anybody that was looking at it. So it took a lot of work to calibrate it on. And we did, I did that by testing it on in-house, back testing it on in-house files that we had over the years because we did valuations and we did um, due diligence engagements as well, that kind of stuff. And, and, um, and then it took um, a third year to field test it with live paying clients where I, I took about 25 um, clients, smaller clients in that field testing uh, phase. I took about 25 clients that were in the like two to 5 million revenue kind of range um, through the process and it worked really well. Then I had to get it built in the cloud because at that point I thought, well, this I was developing for us, developing it for us, for our practice, but then I realized like this has way broader applicability than for our little firm. This needs to be shared with the world. So, because we might be able to touch dozens or maybe even hundreds of companies, but this can help thousands and tens of thousands of companies if we make, if we put this out um, and make it available to, to everybody. So I decided to have it rebuilt in the cloud as a SaaS platform. Well, it took the software development firm two more years to rebuild what I had in the cloud to get it to be a market, you know, to be released with all the user interface, um, you know, all polished and fine-tuned and that kind of thing. So it was a five-year-long development process to do it. It's now been in the market for seven years, and we've added, uh, we've had about seven or eight releases, new releases of it in that time. So each year we have a new release or sometimes two adding new features, new functionality, new industry specific additions. We've recently added different tiers to the software. So like for your audience, if they're, if they're entrepreneurs and they're maybe even pre-revenue or just early stage revenue, 
we have a light tier of the software that's uh, intended for companies below 5 million in revenue. So it's anywhere from, you know, say startup to 5 million in revenue. Um, it's just a lighter touch, still covers all the breadth of categories and the whole assessment and everything. It's just a lighter touch. So it's not, we're not, you know, uh, we're not pounding that we're not banging a nail in with a sledgehammer, you know what I mean? So, um, but it, it does give the earlier stage companies a good visibility as to what they need to be thinking about as they grow and build out their in the infrastructure of the companies so that they're not solely focused on sales because sales are great, especially when you're trying to get launched. But at a certain at certain stages of growth, you will you'll be you'll be putting too much pressure on the weaker points of the company. And you need to know where those when those will be coming and where they'll be coming. And you need to be planning um, for that part of the development of the company as you grow. So that's the lighter tier of the software. It gives great visibility. And then as the company goes from 5 million up to 15 million, they move up a tier and then they go above 15 million in revenue. They move up to the highest tier, which is the most sophisticated, most comprehensive, but it's a seamless transition. So they can use this over the life of their company because they can just keep you know moving it up and and getting more and more insights and more and more guidance and so forth so it's a really powerful very sophisticated software very powerful Absolutely. nothing like it that i that i've ever seen before so and we license it now to advisory firms all around the us and now we have a, we have a handful of people in in other countries i think we have um, small teams in like four or five other countries now. So that's really, really cool. That's really amazing to hear. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad it took a, a couple of years for them to make as opposed to a couple of months. I think that I would be a little bit more concerning, but yeah. um, I, I do want to ask, this is kind of just a random question, I guess, but how do you sort of, how does it, is it algorithmically generated the reports yeah. or the projections and if so, how do you go about designing those algorithms? I'm just curious because, you know, there's so many, again, nuances in, in this yeah. world and it's always like rapidly evolving, especially now um, with social media and technology and everything. So how does that sort of framework? I know you said you um, used the internal data that you had from your uh, company and, and all the companies you worked for, or uh, I believe just that one firm maybe, but um, how do you create sort of that adaptability? Do the updates, yeah. I'd imagine. Well, um, amazingly, well, I shouldn't say amazingly because I put in so much time in the development, the framework of it. Of all the releases since the beginning, the algorithms have remained rock solid. I have not had to change the algorithms, the underlying core algorithms at all. Um, we've added new algorithms because we add new features and functionality, but um, it really was rooted in the valuation methodology. So I was trained and certified in, in valuing companies. So there's a whole science to valuing a business based on the cash flows of a company, either historical cash flows or projected future cash flows. And so there's a whole back end in the software that in an, in an upcoming release within the next uh, few weeks, we're going to make that whole back end visible to any users so they can see all the buildup of how the valuation process works in the system. Um, it's a, something that people have been asking for for a couple of years, and we finally 
built that module, it'll be visible and also editable for anybody who considers themselves to be sophisticated enough to want to edit any of the factors. But it's um, the the cash flows, like future cash flows, have to be discounted back to present value. So there's a it's a time value of money kind of concept, and to discount the cash flows, there's a whole science to build up a discount rate from scratch or capitalizing historical cash flows, which is basically putting a multiple on the company. There's a whole science behind building up that multiple or that cap capitalization rate. And so, um, and it, they're, they're all risk related. So when we go through the qualitative diagnostic of the company, we, we, we are, assessing how well developed the company is across about 50 categories. So it covers all those eight primary categories break down to about 50 subcategories. And each subcategory we're diagnosing how well developed the company is against best practice standards. And so, uh, and then in each subcategory, the company gets a quality score. So they get you know, it's on a, you know, like a test, a zero to a hundred score. Right. And then all of those category scores roll up to be, to, to generate an overall company quality score and a risk profile, a risk score. And the risk score then flows into the algorithms that uh, drive the buildup of a, of a, of a risk adjusted discount rate or capitalization rate. And that that's what ends up, um, driving the value calculation of the cash flows of the company. I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to say this in a not overly technical way. There's a lot, there's a lot more. I could talk about that for hours, but that's mm. essentially how it works. And that's what gives us the power to say, well, what if we change, what if we improve the, these 10 areas or so, how does that impact the value? The way it impacts it is, the system will say, oh, um, if, you're, if we're going to assume that these weak areas are now fixed up to a certain degree of uh, higher quality, then that would, that would generate a different quality profile and risk score. And therefore, let me show you what the impact of, of that would be rolling through to calculate a new discount rate or a new capitalization rate. And here's the value that would result. And here's the delta. So that's how it, that's how we show them. And um, yeah, I mean, the algorithms are, they're all rooted in the valuation methodology. The diagnostic part is all rooted in um, M&A due diligence and the way private equity firms look at the risk profiles of companies. So it's all rooted in like the highest, um, sort of the highest quality professional standards that uh, various firms use. It's just that nobody has ever taken the knowledge bases of business valuation and private equity and M&A due diligence and turnaround management. And nobody's ever taken those knowledge bases before and put them into one platform where they could tie to each other, tie into each other. That's Everybody what I was going to mention. It's so fascinating and sorry to cut you off if I did, but right. it's so fascinating. Um, the times we live in, we could take years of experience and knowledge and package them in a software and allow, you know, people to have access to them and use them and, and leverage those tools. I think it's really interesting where we're moving just as kind of a segue, I guess, into a, <clears throat> excuse me, a different kind of conversation, but 
how do you think all of this plays out? We see all of these technologies or all this in, in intellectual capital being kind of packaged and, you know, um, people are allowed to use it and if, if they pay for it, obviously, or whatever. But where do you think all of that goes? Gosh, that's a good, <laughs> that's a really good, good question. And I can, I can make a sort of a guess, but um, I don't even, I mean, technology is moving so fast. And, uh, you know, the information age that we're in where I, I think they say the information like multiplies several times every year now that, you know, what, what took 100 years of, of to, to build certain levels of information. Now that gets like doubled or tripled every year. It's like mm -hmm. staggering amount of information that is now being coalesced into usable formats and so forth. I think it's, it's only going to keep going faster and faster. And I think, you know, machine learning and the whole internet of things and, you know, all of that, I think it's just going to, I don't know, it's going to get, it's, going to get more and more advanced it's going to make it easier and easier for people to have the knowledge that they need without having to spend decades learning it in the trenches like i spent my career is almost 40 years um you know and i'm putting the knowledge and it wasn't only me putting knowledge into the software i had i had subject matter experts i had industry experts and so forth contributing content um but you know if i added up all of the years of experience for all the people that contributed to the to our software it would be probably a couple several hundred years of experience you know collectively mm -hmm. and we can now put that in the hands of a young advisor who's you know maybe in their mid or late 20s or 30s and um you know, they don't have to have 40 years of experience to be able to use that information, that knowledge. It's at their fingertips now. All they have to do is follow the script. And it's all very logical. People are, I think for one thing, and people are smarter now than they ever have been before. They're more, they're, they're more not, maybe not smarter, more knowledgeable, more knowledgeable now at much younger ages than ever before. And, and can process all of these knowledge bases, I think much faster than like the older, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, on the tail end of the baby boom generation. So, um, you know, this all wasn't available. We, we had textbooks, we had to go back and, right. <laughs> you know, but now you, it's all at your fingertips and people are certainly smart enough to be able to leverage that, that knowledge, find it, use it, leverage it. And I think that's just going to get more and more advanced as the years go by. So I'm excited about, about the, I, you know, it's, and I think the, the younger, the younger entrepreneurs are much more open. Um, their minds are much more open to new approaches and, and leveraging the knowledge that they can find wherever they can find it. Um, you know, the older generations aren't, necessarily so open-minded because they're just so stuck in their <laughs> habits and so forth. So I think this is a really powerful kind of concept and the whole information age is really powerful for the younger generations. Yes, sir. I uh, appreciate your time. Please let everybody know where they can um, find the software, your website, social media, anything else. 
Uh, sure. Our, our, the company is Corporate Value Metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S. Our website is corporatevalue.net. And um, they can find us on, uh, we're just, they can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, they cannot find us on probably Facebook or Twitter or, or, <laughs> or uh, instant Instagram. messaging. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> um, but they can find us certainly on our website. And uh, I'm ha always happy to share information if anybody wants to learn more. And I would offer your uh, listeners if they if they are going trying to go through a strategic planning process, don't shortcut it. Take the time to do it right. Understand where your company is today, and take the time to really spend spend some time working on the business as opposed to in it. Developing a a, a really robust strategic plan. I can share a framework with you with them uh, if they're interested in that. No charge. I'm just that's a a gift to your listeners for you having me on the show. Much appreciated, sir. Where, uh, where can they find that? Uh, they can email me on the, they can, if they go to the website, they can email me directly. My email is um, my first initial K last name, San Gennario, S-A-N-G-I-N-A-R-I-O at corporatevalue.net. And that would be the best way to, to contact me. Appreciate it, sir. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on.